a cheaper version of Disney Plus to watch Disney movies and we don't pay for YouTube so we get ads on YouTube and my kids lamented that we see ads everywhere. Guess what? You're about to get another ad at church. <laughs> so um, and this is a very unusual ad. So I'm going to tell you about a book. So this is a book I've been reading this month and it's a Catholic book and it is uh, reading through the Psalms and it's like a reading for the morning, a reading for the evening around dinner time, and then it's a reading for bedtime and some of them are kind of repetitive um, and I only, in a whole month I only found three lines that were obnoxiously Catholic and I just skipped over those. All the rest was straight Psalms, Acts, Luke, and Romans. So, and Daniel. But, um, but it's really cool because it's, there's no chapter or verse marks and it just gives it to you as a daily reading in a little bite. And so I'm, I'm advertising this, but maybe not specifically this, just the joy of sticking a ribbon in your Bible in the book of Psalms. And when you wake up in the morning, before you get any information from Fox News or CNN, before you get any news from the radio, before what, what my habit was to doom scroll on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, to go for the Psalms and to just sit and take a little bite. You know, you can even set a timer for 10 minutes because some Psalms are really short and some Psalms are really long. And just quietly and gently read them out loud and you either make it your prayer or you recognize, wow, this was David's prayer when he was in trouble. This is David's prayer when he was on the run. This is David's prayer when he was run out of Jerusalem by his son and thought he was going to die. Spoiler alert. And um, it really builds a really builds a good pattern of prayer. So if you want if you want the Catholic one, it's Liturgy of the Hours or the the something of the office of the hour, the daily office. But um, but you can get it just by reading Psalms, too. And it's it's been it's been very good. I got another book for May that I'm going to do for May, and then I'll probably cancel this subscription because I only need two books. <laughs> Don't need more bookshelves. All right. Your ad is over, so my volume's going to go down, and you get the regular show now. So last week we talked about David and Bathsheba, and I have good news and bad news, however you want to take it. We're going to be talking about David and Bathsheba again today, and we're going to be talking about David and Bathsheba again next week, <laughs> because there's a lot that happens here. There is so much that happens here that some Bible commentators say that 2 Samuel 11 and 12 are the introduction or the preamble to 2 Samuel 13 through 20. And now I know I've said before, if you read the book of Acts like a spy thriller novel, and you sit down on an afternoon, you read the whole book of Acts like it's a spy, like it's a spy book, that you'll see all kinds of different things from it. And it becomes like an action movie. And it's really exciting. You could read the 
Gospel of Mark like it's an action movie and sit down and read it in one reading and you're like, wow, it is. Well, when I read that 2 Samuel 11 and 12 are the intro to 13 through 20, I looked over it like that and it's convincing. It, that makes sense. Because the things that happen in 11 and 12 are going to get prophesied and judged and decided. And then we're going to watch it all happen from 2 Samuel 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. It all happens. Some of the stuff that happens in 2 Samuel 12 affects what's going to happen in 1 Kings chapters 1 through 11. So David and Bathsheba is a really big deal. Okay? It's going to affect... Today we're going to be in Psalms. We're going to be in Romans. It's, it is a massive, a massive, massive event in the life of Israel in the life of humankind and in the coming and life of Jesus. So if I haven't oversold this enough, if I haven't, if I haven't bulked this up enough, 2 Samuel chapter 12. So he does all that. He does all the David and Bathsheba stuff. The very last verse of chapter 11 she became his wife, bore him a son, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. That is the first moment in all of David's life. Think about all the things that David has done. David has killed a whole bunch of people. David has wiped out countries. David has wiped out whole races of people. But this thing is the first thing that mentions it displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan is David's prophet. He came to him and he said, there were two men in a certain city. All right, so he starts with the story. Sometimes Nathan would come. You know how um, if you've got a problem and it's like a big problem, you can call your senator and you can say, I want to tell my senator. Blah, 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 blah. Or in our... This happens in our case. We got a problem in the city, bumpy roads, whatever it is. We write the mayor's office. <laughs> Actually, I didn't write the mayor's office. I called the sewer and the sewer said, you should call the mayor's office. And then I called the mayor's office and I got to go in to the mayor's office and tell them this thing about our water, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes people would have a thing happen and they would talk to whoever they could talk to that was in the king's court. So when Nathan comes in to King David to tell him this story, this was not out of the ordinary. And David doesn't know if Nathan is being a prophet or if Nathan is just telling the thing that happened in his neighborhood. Okay? So we know the end of the story. We've heard this a million times. But David doesn't know if this is actually real. He probably does not suspect that Nathan is prophesying. There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, 
which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. So this little story is, um, it's not isolated. So it's not Levitical law. It's in uh, Bedouin tribal rules of like sayings and tradition that if a guest comes to you and you don't have a lamb, hospitality is such a big deal that you are allowed to go to a rich person and say, hey, rich person, I have a guest and you have a whole bunch of lambs and I don't have one. Can I have one? And under the the tribal code of just rules and, and uh, assumptions, the rich man would give the poor man a lamb because hospitality is so important. So David would be familiar with this sort of rules of the desert kind of thing. That it was a common thing. If you saw, if you had a guest, the guest is really important. Now, people that keep sheep, people that kept sheep in David's day, people that kept sheep for hundreds of years before David, they would often have all their flocks and then they would have a favorite. Just like your kids, right? That was a joke. You would have one that was your favorite. And this one sheep would live in your house. Almost like we have dogs. I mean, they all thought dogs were disgusting. So you'd have one sheep and that sheep would be in your house and in your business. And it would sit with you while you sat around the fire. All the other sheep are out in the field and blah, blah, blah. And they're crazy. But you'd have that one that's like your favorite. And you would take care of it. And yes, it would eat from your table. And yes, you would feed it. And yes, you could... Uh, just like this guy. He would lie in his arms, drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And if you had a sheep like that and a guest came, you were permitted to still go to the rich man and get a lamb because you should not kill your pet sheep. Isn't that wild? So they had, they had a difference between a pet sheep that was your pet, that was close to you, that would lie in your arms, that would eat at your table, and just your sheep for eating. And so, under their laws of the desert, shepherd's rules, it was okay for a poor man to go to the rich man and say, I need a sheep, will you give me one? The rich man gives him a sheep, because now it's showing off the rich man's hospitality and the rich man's generosity. He's so rich, he can give a sheep to any poor person that needs it when they receive a guest, right? It's, it's this, it's all honor. It's all good. And so when Nathan tells David this story, everything makes sense. You got the rich man. He's got a whole bunch of sheep. You got the poor man. He's got the sheep that he loves. And he can't wait a second. The rich man did what? This is just outrageous. This is so wrong. 
for the poor man. Did you notice he even says the poor man went out and bought it? How does a poor man have money to buy a sheep? How does a poor man have money to raise a sheep? I think about this whenever I see a homeless person or a poor person with a dog. I'm like, they would be so much better off if they got rid of that dog and they, whatever energy they're putting into taking care of that dog. Sometimes people need this stuff just to, to hang on. <laughs> uh, there are people that have, just by taking care of a dog, that gives them enough responsibility that they don't give up on themselves, right? So here's this poor man. He bought a sheep. He spent money that he probably didn't really have. And he's cared for it. It's light in his arms. I think that's rain. It doesn't usually rain on Sunday morning. So this is such a tender thing. The other thing that's kind of gross is when he says he took the man's lamb and fed it to his guest, the emphasis is on he slaughtered that man's lamb. He killed it dead. So it's not just that he took the poor man's sheep. It's that he took the poor man's sheep and butchered it and ate it. Ugh. David's anger, this, is, this gets wild. Verse 5, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David is furious. What's wild, it says he deserves to die. That is one way it could be translated. Um, this, that is the way it's translated for church people that don't want to see cuss words in their Bible. Okay? It is just some of the nastiest, hateful. He is like, uh, he is a son, he is an offspring of hell. It is just some of the most aggressive, condemning. He's like a son of death. I think literally it is a son of death, but it gets a whole lot worse the more you pick it apart. It's like, it's not that he deserves to die. It's that he is creating death. He is creating death. He is, he is a spawned offspring of death. And he is creating more death. That is who this person is. <laughs> but we know the whole story, right? Here's the other crazy thing. Is that we also know that David is a prophet. And in the Psalms, he says things that Jesus himself would say. He prophesies things predicting the future and saying things that people will say in the future. Do you remember this guy in the trial of Jesus where the guy says, you know, it's, let's just let him, let's kill this guy because it's better for one person to die than for a whole nation to die. And Luke gives this little commentary says he did not know he was prophesying because it's better for Jesus to die than for a whole nation to die, right? David did not know that he was speaking prophetically. He says, 
This man is an offspring of death and he is going to cause more death. And he will restore the death of this lamb four times over. Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. I'm not going to tell you how it all plays out, but I'm going to tell you David is prophesying and it will come true. David is in the heat of passion. He is so fired up. And what's really wild is that David is seated on his throne. Okay? He is in court. The the king is where he is supposed to be at this moment. Hearing from his prophet. And so many times we, maybe even right now, when we are thinking about the Lord and we are thinking things, we are thinking clearly. And we are discerning right and wrong properly. And we are making good decisions about I should do this and I shouldn't do that. And I want to do this because this is going to be life-giving. And I'm not going to do this because this isn't life-giving. David is thinking clearly right now. Because yes, that dude, that rich dude that took that poor man's sheep and slaughtered it and butchered it and ate its meat. He should die and he should pay back fourfold. When David did these things, he was not thinking clearly, right? He was just driven by his flesh. He was driven by his desire, what I want. I don't care about Uriah. I don't care about any of my mighty men. I don't even care about my kingdom. I want Bathsheba. I don't care about Bathsheba, right? He didn't even care about her. Because if he would have cared about her, he would have respected her. He just cared about himself. And so this gives us a look. It's not that David was evil. It's not that he is a villain. Because right here we see he has a capacity for right judgment. He has a capacity for justice. He has a capacity to do God's will. One time he didn't. Verse seven, Nathan says to David, you are the man. Get angry. (laughs) Get angry all you want, King David. This is a story about you. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. All of a sudden, just imagine this scene. Nathan comes in to talk to David. David, Nathan starts with this story. Nathan thinks, oh, this is a, a judicial claim. You know, somebody's complaining about so-and-so built a fence on my property line and I need to settle it. And he gets fired up. Oh, this guy killed this man's little pet sheep. This is messed up. The rich man. And now all of a sudden it flips. And Nathan says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I'm not here for some uh, jurisdictional complaint from the city. I am here prophesying. I am here as your prophet to the king of Israel. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king of Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. The Lord is saying, I gave you Every single thing from Goliath to the kingdom. I've given it all to you. 
Whenever I read this, it's funny. This is another fun Bible study thing. We don't have any inflection here. They don't say he, sometimes it doesn't say he yelled, he shouted, he murmured. I used to always read this as Nathan being like, you are the man, and yelling and saying this. And this week when I was reading it, I was like, what if, what if I really listened to the end of chapter 11, this really displeased the Lord. And you read this line from Nathan as displeased, just grieving, just mourning. I would have given. And, and what if Nathan says it so soft and gentle that David has to lean in with all of his might just to hear, I anointed you king over Israel. You know, like you can read it different ways because we don't know how he said it. And all of a sudden you're like, wow. If this were too little, I would add to you as much more. If that wasn't enough for you, I would have given you even more land. Can you imagine Israel? Like God could have given David all of modern day Iran, all of modern day Syria. If, if God wanted David to have all of that, God could have given all of that land to David. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your own wife, and you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Oh, so this is, this is like a, a curse on top of a curse on top of a curse, Right? It's not that you were so messed up and wrong, David, to kill somebody to get their wife. It's not that you were so messed up and wrong that you ordered somebody. Because how many times has David done that, right? The people come and order. David says, hey, kill him. It says David ordered the young man to kill him. And they kill this guy or they kill that guy. David didn't do it with his bare hands. He didn't order one of his men to do it. He used the Ammonites to do it. Like this is like Ammonites. <laughs> like you used an enemy of Israel. You used these Gentiles. You used their strength and their might to kill one of your own men. It just makes it that much worse, right? Ah. So when we do things in our flesh. New Testament talks a lot about our flesh. The best definition of it is when we do it without God's power and we do it on our own power. That's when we live by the flesh. When we live by the Spirit, that's when the Holy Spirit is guiding us to do something. Sometimes we even get what we want when we walk by the Spirit. But if we want what we want and we go after it in our flesh, we go after it in our own way. With, oh, it's okay, God, you sit over there. I'm going to go handle this, God. I don't need you for this. I can do this my own way. That's living by the flesh. This event, there's so much stuff that God, that David has done pursuing God's own passions. And this one event David did following his own passions. 
Look at when Nabal, when Nabal died. Nabal, he is a cursed man. Oh my gosh, he's miserable. He's a jerk, blah, blah, blah. He leaves his wife, Abigail. It says that God struck Nabal. Nabal was the guy that wouldn't give any food, wouldn't give any help. Don't share anything with David. I don't know who this David is. And it says he fell over and he died. And then David married Abigail. And that was a good thing. He was taking care of her. He's, he's caring for her. He, now, in this case, David, by his own power, it would have been completely different. If Uriah the Hittite would have died in battle, in a normal battle, not conjured up by David, and she would have been left a widow, and then David was like, here, I'll take care of you into my house, that would have been a completely different story, right? But by his own flesh, by his own figuring out and scheming, how much lying had to happen? Like, you could count how many lies had to happen when David asks, who is that? He knows who it is. He's been with Uriah for years. Go get her. Right? Lies, 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 lies. Secrety flesh. So God says, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Isn't that wild? You think King David would probably say, I don't hate you, God. I just wanted Bathsheba. But David had to make God look bad in so many ways to get what he wanted. That God would say, you have hated me. You've despised me. You will always have a sword in your house. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he'll lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. You did it secretly. I will do this thing before all Israel and right in front of the sun. Basically in broad daylight. The Lord has put away your... Oh, wait, hold on. All this stuff that David did in secret, he had a whole bunch of chances to stop, right? He had chances to, okay, I'm not going to go any further, or I'm going to come clean, or I'm going to be honest, or I'm going to confess. And he just did wrong, wrong, hiding, 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 hiding. Jesus said, everything that's hidden will be exposed. Everything that's whispered to you will be shouted from the rooftops. We know that David understood right and wrong. We know he understood injustice because he got so mad about the dude stealing a sheep. But when he had to start being secretive, that was his number one flag. And that still serves as a flag for us. If there's anything that we start to step into that we think, I hope so-and-so doesn't find out I did this. I can't let so-and-so know that I do this thing. That's a little help for us. That's the Holy Spirit right there saying, maybe you should stop. It even happens with our words. 
if I'm about ready to say something and then I think I would never say this in front of so-and-so. Or if I'm about ready to talk about so-and-so and I would never say it in front of that person that I'm talking about, that's a chance where the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, 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 are you walking by your flesh or are you walking by the Spirit? Is your, where is your heart in this thing? See, the other thing that we see from David is in doing sin, we get hardened to the reality of sin and we think it's not as bad. And then we do a deeper sin because we're hardened and then we think that's not as bad. And before you know it, you've probably heard the cliche, sin will take you further than you want to go and cost more than you wanted to pay. All of a sudden, you're in it deeper than you ever planned on being in it. You thought you were just going to dip your toe in and you didn't realize it's a 12-foot deep pool. Gosh. But, do you remember 2 Samuel 7? When David said, God, how can I live in a house while while the ark of God is still in tents? I want to build a temple for you. And God says, David, man, I love you so much. You love me so much. I'm going to bless you, man. You're not going to build a temple for me. But from now on, you are always a descendant of you is always going to sit on the throne And eventually a descendant of yours is going to reign forever. And I will never take my Holy Spirit from him the way I took it from Saul. So God makes this covenant. God makes a promise to David in chapter 7. Chapter 12. Does God say, too bad that covenant only counted as long as you were perfect? No. God made the covenant and he keeps the covenant. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David realizes, whoa, everything I did was against God. It wasn't just against Uriah. It wasn't against, just against Joab making him lie. I have really sinned. And Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Put away your sin. Guess how that translates. The Lord has taken your sin and assigned it to another person. Can you believe Jesus gets mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 12? A transfer of your sin has happened. You will not die. Wow. You guys, the Lord, all these prophecies that David says, all these Psalms that he writes, praying that would be the words of Jesus. Even when Jesus is dying on the cross, David gets told by God, your sin has been transferred. I think David knew what he meant. He says, you will not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have scorned the Lord. Some translations, you you might have a little footnote. Basically, by scorning the Lord, you have made God look really bad to all the unbelievers. 
This happens in the United States right now, right? How many people will not be Christians and don't want to hear about Jesus? Because Christians, some Christians have made God look really, really bad. That people don't even want my Jesus because of my lifestyle does not reflect Jesus. How many people, for, thanks to, I mean, the new, I don't want to blame the news because the people did it. But there will be some scandal of church leadership and this church leader or that church leader will do a horrible, horrible thing on the level of David and Bathsheba. And everybody says, well, why would I want to go and be led by a preacher who did this terrible thing? And I think people are right to ask that question. Why would they want to follow somebody who is doing these evil, secretive things, right? The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord and made the Lord look bad in the eyes of all the other nations. The child who is born to you shall die. Yikes. This kid that is going to be, that's born to Bathsheba is not going to stick around. And this is hard because, oh my gosh, God is going to, I mean, what did this kid do, right? I think what's great to think about in this is that there's no point where we know that this child suffered any. That gives me a little bit of comfort in this confusing thing. It also gives me some comfort, and I'm, I'm just going to skip ahead. When David says, I will go meet him, but he will not come to me. David says of this child. When people die, a lot of times people will say, God took him. God just wanted him more than we did. And it's never a good time to correct that, but I always want to correct that. That God receives people, God does not take people. Death takes people. Death takes, and God will defeat death and give all people back. So it's comforting and it's awesome to think of God taking somebody, but I really want you to think differently of God receiving, not taking. First Peter says, precious in his sight is the death of God's saints. Throughout the scriptures, you'll see where God, when somebody dies, sometimes God is even sad. It'll say and God, that God was sad that that person died because death is an enemy. Death is going to get stomped on and its teeth are going to get kicked in. Death is bad. And God, Jesus, defeats death and brings people back to life. So in this case, I don't know. This is a hard thing. This child dies. But what it also says to me is God takes sin really, really seriously. I mean, look at what David did. David lived by his flesh for probably several hours. And he ruined the life of Uriah. He ruined the life of Bathsheba. He I mean, he just messed it up for a whole lot of people. And there are a lot of people that suffer 
from sin. But, this is verse 23, by the way. Now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. We're going to talk more about it next week. We're going to talk more about what all happened. But the thing to really camp on today is that David knew what he was supposed to do. He knew the right thing because he was mad at the rich man, right? But he did wrong. And later, the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 would write, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. I'm sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can know what is right to do, and I can still mess up and I can still commit sin. If I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. God isn't wrong. God's right. I'm the one doing wrong. It's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. There it is right there. I can't do anything good by my own power and my own will. But by doing God's will, everything I do is good. Whoa. And when I mess up and when I fail and I will and I will keep on failing. God has transferred my sin to somebody else. And that was Jesus on the cross. And so with Jesus bearing my sin, defeating death, I don't have to be afraid of death because I'll get raised from that on the last day. I don't have to be afraid of judgment because all of the judgment there is fell on Jesus on the cross. And I don't have to worry. I don't even have to fear punishment. Because Hebrews 10 says God disciplines us like sons. He cares for us so much. So even when I disappoint God, when I do a thing that's despicable, I can look at this event and how God treated David, but even more so now that Jesus has died on the cross, and I can see his covenant still stands and our relationship is still as secure as ever as me being his child. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you so much for redeeming us and saving us. And I pray, Lord, that you would drive this down deep into our souls, that even even when we know what is right and we mess up and we do wrong, that we would see you and seek after you and grab onto you and live in you. We praise you, we exalt you, and we thank you, Lord. Amen. So church, go get him, seek the Lord, and live by the Spirit, and hold on to him when you mess up. God bless you, Turbo Church. <laughs>